young adulthood is confusing. Navigating the beginning of your career, exploring relationships, and trying to find a balance isn't easy. I'm Allie Dietz, and you're listening to Young Adult Path to Progress. My mission is to help young adults feel a little bit less alone, a little bit less confused, and hopefully inspired by the conversations they hear on this podcast. Welcome to my path. I hope I can help you find peace in yours. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Young Adult Path to Progress. I'm really excited to start this new season. I haven't made an episode in over a year and a lot has happened in that year. I opened a podcast studio in Austin, which is really what we're going to be diving into in this episode is what that process has looked like for me. And I've asked Ryan to come on and kind of help facilitate this conversation because I, I really want it to be a natural conversation. And this is our second take because Ryan, the first one was not natural. Ryan was acting like it was an episode of 60 minutes. I would like, (laughs) he would ask me a question and then I would answer it, like just hoping for a conversation. And he'd be like, very good. (laughs) So yeah, I I developed a British accent just for the interview. No, I, I I just put too much structure in it and I wanted to, she has a lot of good information that's in her brain and I wanted to pull it out, but that's not the way this is going to work. This is going to be a natural conversation with friends, of course, diving into the whole story of how I got from, you know, living not even paycheck to paycheck, just like building up debt and, not being able to afford life to moving home for six months to now owning a studio in Austin and it's going really well. I opened it in August. It is now November. So we are a few months into this whole journey and it's been so good so far. So Ryan, thank you for coming and having this conversation with me and just making sure that I don't go off on too many rambles as I do and making sure that I get that information out in the best way. Yeah, I'm excited. Let's let's get down to it. So let's get started. Obviously, you know, we're here sitting in a podcast studio that was once a dream. And it seems that, it, you know, for anybody from the outside looking in, I think that it was a relatively quick experience, quick developments. But the reality is, is that this has been a dream of yours over the past two years that you've slowly but surely implemented different steps, gone through a lot of small wins, a lot of big losses, And it's been an emotional trying time. And I guess we can just naturally go through a conversation and kind of go over for our audience exactly what your journey's been and and what your reflections are about it. So let's just start with with the basics, where it all began when you got the idea for a podcast studio. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think it was almost a perfect storm when I came up with the idea for the studio. I had been living in Austin for you know, maybe four or five months. It was November of 2021. So it's exactly two years ago. And I was taking a podcast accelerator course. At the time when I had moved to Austin, I hadn't been focusing on the podcast. I think consistency is something that everyone who knows my podcast knows. I just haven't been great at the consistency of it. I was struggling. I was taking classes to become a real estate or a realtor here in Austin. And 
yeah, I, I was taking this course because I just felt like I needed to do something for me. Like I had just moved to Austin and I didn't have my friends here. I had Emily, I had you, but it was a big shift in my life. And one of the things that I'm passionate about was something I hadn't been focusing on a lot. So I started the podcast accelerator course, which is put on by the girls from the almost 30 podcast. It opened my eyes to this idea that you can create a business within what you love. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the money coming in through sponsorships, through the podcast. Like there are so many other avenues that you can take. And none of the avenues that they were talking about specifically on the accelerator that I was taking or in that workshop really stuck with me. They didn't really resonate with what I wanted to do. But while I was taking that course, I also met a friend, Eleanor, who has become one of our closest friends here in Austin. She had just moved here and we went out one night and she was telling me about how she started a photography studio in LA and how this photography studio that she owned with a few other girls, it was doing so well. It was bringing in double or triple the amount of rent every month and it just kind of um, opened my idea or my eyes to this idea of putting the two things that I was loving at the time that I saw for my future into one career. So I was thinking about doing real estate. I wanted to do real estate because I think eventually investing in, in real estate would be really cool. But I also want to do my podcast because I love having these conversations with people. I love getting to know people and their stories and just the the depth of how people got to where they're at. So. Eleanor talking about the idea of a photography studio really opened my eyes to the way that you can bring two things that I love together. Yeah. And at the time I was trying to start getting back into my podcast, but I would be interviewing people in my kitchen, in my little apartment that me and Emily lived in. Mm -hmm. It wasn't professional. The equipment that I was using was not good. The in initial investment for a podcast can be really pricey if you don't know if you're going to be making money from it, if you don't know how long you're going to be doing it for. So it was probably, I guess, a year and a half after I started my podcast that I finally invested in quality equipment. Right. And, and when you were recording in your, in your kitchen and doing all these things that were required in order for you to launch your own podcast, before you had launched your own podcast, if I had asked you, Allie, can you launch a podcast studio? You wouldn't even know where to start. The equipment's the obvious thing, but all of the different lessons that you learn from starting your own podcast, you start to look around and think, man, I wonder if there's a service or a place that I could go that has a professional setting that has these processes figured out for me and the guidance that I can get my podcast on my feet as soon as possible and have the quality as high as possible from the start. Yeah. And I think that when you are starting a podcast, you obviously have really big dreams with that podcast. I think anyone who has started a podcast probably feels that same way. And when you are releasing a podcast and you're going up against like the dear medias of the world or these podcasts that are produced at really high-end networks and they have the marketing behind them, they have the good equipment just at their disposal. They There's so much that they have that when you're doing an independent podcast, it's a lot more work for you to do it yourself. When you start your podcast or like any artistic work, I view this as, as creating art, similar to making music, which I've done in the past, similar to 
painting, photography, all of these things, all of these activities that require an artistic talent, you want those to be as successful as quickly as possible. The problem with that is, is that it starts to apply a pressure to the art form and the best art is made when you don't feel that pressure, when you're able to, you know, try different different methods, try to be as creative as possible when you're making it. Like, you know, try different avenues. And when you give yourself that sense of urgency, you feel like, okay, you almost feel like you have to lock into a certain method so that it can be as efficient as possible so you can get to where your goals are. And that uh, creating a podcast studio really takes away a lot of that pressure because you don't have that, have that major initial investment in the podcast. And you're able to actually have the proper support so that when you listen to your podcast compared to other podcasts, it sounds like the same quality that you hear from the major podcasts that you love to listen to, the Joe Rogan podcast, him and hers podcast, things of that nature. Yeah. Big confidence builder. It also is when you're creating, you need to break down any barriers that can get in the way of you doing what you want to do. And if you don't have things already set up, if if there is anything that is going to make it feel like a job before you walk in and you start recording and doing something creative, you're not even going to get to the point of walking in and creating something because, yeah. because those blockers that are up there, they really do like, you need to get rid of that friction and having a podcast studio allows you to do that. Like it was so easy. We just walked in here today and everything was already set up. Obviously for my clients, I mean, literally all they have to do is walk in. They have to walk in and they have the time set aside that they say, okay, we're going to the studio. This is for sure a thing. And they have the obligation to do it. Yeah. So there were a lot of reasons that the podcast studio kind of came to mind and where the journey began. Yeah, that was 2021. So we're two years deep into it now and it's been a wild ride. Yep. So let's get into it uh, in terms of the wild ride. So you had the idea. Many people, I feel that when they have an idea for something that they know can be successful, you got confirmation from your mom and from me and you had a lot of enthusiasm. What's the first step that you take to start bringing this idea to life? I think that I talked to a lot of people that had started businesses before. I'm very lucky that I'm I have people in my life who I look up to who have taken a risk on themselves before. And I think that almost gave me the okay to take a risk on myself. But I was able to talk to you about starting your business. I talked to your mom about starting her dental practice. Your mom went through a small the small business administration to get a small business loan. So that kind of opened up my ideas to the different avenues that I could take to get the funding for a space like this. I spoke to one of my dad's friends who owns his own uh, storage company. So I talked to different people about what avenues they took to try and figure out what avenue I should take. I ended up going onto the small business administration's website. And on there, I was able to download a template for a business plan and five-year projections that kind of gave me a base for where to start. What kind of information needs to be on there? What do I need to have for the banks? That kind of stuff. And I I didn't study business. I studied broadcasting. So I have never taken any classes that would give me any of this information. Like I didn't know what I was doing with a, a small business plan or whatever. So that really gave me a good starting point. After talking to my dad's friend, he recommended go to the bank that you work with because I didn't even know where to get an SBA backed loan. You know, like 
I, I mean, I now know that the SBA on their website, they list different banks that they work with or different lenders that they work with. The SBA is a government backed program for people who are starting businesses. So an SBA loan basically means that the government is backing the loan, the money that the lender is giving you. So if you, you know, don't pay your loan back, then the government will step in and pay that back to the lender. So there's almost a safety there for the lender. So anyways, the SBA, they have a page on their website where you can find different lenders that they work with. I didn't know that at the time. So what my dad's friend had recommended is go to the bank that you already have a relationship with, one, and two, go to a credit union because a lot of credit unions, um, credit unions are privately owned and they're a little bit more lenient with the business loans that they'll give out. So those are the two places that I started. I couldn't find one credit union near us that did business loans. So it was very interesting. Um, I think that all credit unions are different, but you would want to go to a local one because they're trying to help their community. And then I went to Truist with the, Truist is the bank that I've been banking with since I was 16. And I went with the proposal and I went with the five-year projections, which I had a lot of help putting together. I had the business proposal I had put together myself and then the five-year projections. I actually had Connor, your brother, help me put those together because I don't understand numbers. Um, (laughs) So we can get into like where I ended up getting those numbers from later on. But yeah, that's where I started. I brought it to the bank and I learned very quickly that typically banks do not back loans or do not give out loans unless a business is well-established and has at least like six months of proof of income profitability, the bank need, you know, they're taking a risk on you. They need to know that that money is coming in and we'll be able to pay off the the loan. So for me, a small business loan through the small business administration just made sense because the bank wouldn't have to be worried about getting that money back because the government is backing it. That's when I ended up going onto the SBA website, found a lender through the SBA website. The banker I worked with at Truist also recommended the place that I ended up getting the loan from, the lender that I worked with. They're called People Fund. They are in several different cities in Texas. So if anyone is looking into starting a small business in Texas, People Fund's amazing and I highly recommend them. And yeah, so that's where I kind of started everything. I mean, even that was probably two months into me deciding that I wanted to do this. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 fascinating to hear you talk about this process of discovery of getting information that you need from the very, from the get-go, taking the little steps of, you know, initiating conversations with banks to family members, to friends who could give you advice on how to start a business, even if if they may have started businesses of different, in the different industry. Yeah. I think that I just needed to talk to people who had taken the risk and to see that the risk has reward at the end and to kind of just I mean, really, it was just to ease my own mind of the fear of doing something like this, understanding what it's going to look like for the first few years. If you have an estimate, like just out of curiosity, like how long of a time frame was like this discovery period? Was it because I, I would imagine a lot of people that when, are, when they're starting, taking that first step is the hardest. And then, you know, getting to a point where like, 
I think a lot of people will get impatient when they're just getting information instead of taking these actual steps and opening the doors to their business. So how long would you say that this process was of like discovery? I think I had the idea originally in November. And when I first went to my mom about it, she was like, you have to do it now because if you don't hop on this, people are going to do it before you do. Mm -hmm. I live in Austin, Texas. A lot of creatives are moving from Los Angeles and New York. These, the big metropolitan areas like LA and New York already have studios like this. So we knew it was only a matter of time before there was something available like this in Austin. So I was pretty quick with it, but I mean, I do remember being home in December for Christmas at my parents and sitting down and working on the business plan and being like, dad, will you read like really excited to show my family that I was working on it. So that was December of 2021. I got denied the small business loan when I went through the process of applying for it the first time, I think it was like late April, early May. So I mean, between November when I had the idea and May. Denied. Denied. Wow. So I mean, but that was, I was working on the proposal in December and then I would say it was going through trying to find which banks to work with, trying to find the lender. And there was a lot of information that I needed to gather for the business plan in order to be able to even apply to the lender to get the money. So I, um, you know, it was going around Austin. A lot of days were spent waking up and just driving around, trying to find a space that looks like it could be what I want calling, trying to find out how much it would cost every month, because you need to know for a lenders, like for their purposes, exactly how much money you're going to be putting into everything every month. So how much is the space going to be? How much money for utilities? Like all of that information, how long is your lease going to run for? How the hell do you you even know any of these things before you, before you actually open your door somewhere? Like someone who's never paid a lease, a commercial lease before, like, how are you supposed to know how much utilities cost? But that's one of those things that you go out, you discover, you, you take these tours and you just slowly piece it all together. Yeah. So I was just going out on foot every day and I was looking for spaces and going in and touring places. And I was working with a realtor for a little bit and touring some spaces. And honestly, when I worked with brokers for, you have to work with a broker for a commercial space. When I was working with brokers and having them show me spaces, they never like hit what I was looking for. I had a very specific vision for what I wanted. So for anyone who is like interested in starting a business, I do recommend doing a lot of it yourself, like doing that homework yourself, because I found this building by myself when I was going with the broker, the space, like they were trying to show me industrial buildings that were like literally a flex space warehouse that doesn't have walls like fully built out and like (laughs) a garage door. And like, you would have to replace this and replace that. And you need to put AC in like all these things that would have cost a lot of money. And I don't think that, I think that brokers, especially in big cities like this, they're working with people who are bringing them a lot of money. Like you're not going to be their, their number one priority. They're not going to fully understand your vision. So a lot of it's going on LoopNet and looking up, you know, here's my budget of how much I'm willing to spend. This is where I want it. Like this is the vicinity of the area that I want it to be. Just like that kind of stuff. Go out and do it yourself. Like you'll find what you're looking for. Another piece is how much am I going to be charging people? Is there actually a market for a business like this? 
for lenders, giving a, or at least for my lenders, giving me a small business loan was a huge risk because there aren't a lot of businesses like this that show that this is a a business that's going to last. So I have some very smart friends and they gave me a lot of great ideas. And one of those smart friends is our friend, Austin, who we were just over at his house one day and I was kind of telling him about what I was doing. And I was like, you know, there's just not a lot of market research out there because it's a new business or it's a new industry. And I need to be able to show that there's a market for this. And I don't know how to find the proof and put that in the business plan. And he had a great idea. He was like, well, why don't you run a Facebook ad campaign and get those numbers, get that data yourself. So Austin, thank you. You're a genius. That was huge in me putting together the numbers for the business plan. And it also just showed the interest here in Austin. So that's what I did. I I put together a poll on Facebook and it had several questions One of them was, would you be interested in renting a space for like a creative studio? The next one was, how much would you pay for an hourly rental? Another one was, would you be more interested in an hourly rental, a monthly membership or a production package? So I was able to gather a lot of information just from this one poll that I was adding. I also got everyone's email information. And I said, if you fill out this form, you get 30 minutes of free space. That's, cr- that's crazy. Like for me, I, I do digital marketing for dentists. So I run Facebook ads campaigns and getting people's emails addresses is so hard. Having someone go onto a different site or on the landing page on Facebook ads and having them actually enter their personal information. When you told me that you had so many email addresses only from a couple hundred dollars of Facebook ad spend. Yeah. I could see the potential of it and clearly the enthusiasm around it because like I said, getting people to enter that information is difficult. So clearly the enthusiasm in the area was there. 100%. I mean, I think I ran the ad for five days. I spent maybe close to $300 on it and I got 70 names. That's crazy. I mean, five days of running an ad campaign. Like if you ran, you know, for a dentist and bringing someone into a dental office for free whitening, you'll maybe get a hundred names over a span of three months, four months, five months. Like there is something there that you need to capitalize on. That was one of the things that I added into the business plan. And, and and that gave me a lot of information because it gave me the numbers of people who are interested in it, but it also gave me the numbers of what people are willing to pay. So I was able to show to the bank through the business plan that I had that research done. And I was also able to come up with how much I would be charging hourly. You know, so I think that I took the top like, of people, there were some people who came in and they were like, oh, $10, you know, obviously that's not going to run a business. So I looked at the top, like 70%, the average there. And I think the average at the time was like $85 that people were willing to pay per hour, per hour. And that's that was that higher or lower than your expectation? Higher. I was originally thinking like $65 an hour or something. Um, I'm charging a hundred dollars an hour. So I am a little bit pricier than even what the like top, the average of the top 70% was. But once you start running a business and you see all of the the costs that go into it, you get a little bit more comfortable with what you have to charge and you understand why it has to be a certain price. And you also realize how little space there actually is to fit so many. You can only fit so many people into a studio. If you have a couple people recording one day, that's going to take up the entire day because the, the transition time between people 
is something that you need to yeah, account if for I, too. So like for instance, for the monthly membership, people get four hours of recording time. And really that ends up being six hours because it's four hours of actually sitting down and using the equipment and recording a podcast. But then it's, you know, an extra hour getting in and getting set up and then, tra- you know, the transition between episode to episode. So and saying hello and you yeah. know, you being you, you being Allie Dietz, you're, you're someone who really likes to help people feel at home. So you're saying, hi, how are you having a really in-depth an conversation part before. of an important part of the the business no is, doubt. is that hospitality. So it's essential. And that's a lot of what you offer is not only your experience, but your ability to make someone feel at home and make a, a homey, comfortable environment for someone to come and record and, and creating art is, you know, someone, someone smarter than me once said that it's a violent act. So, you know, in a sense, you're, you're, you're creating something that's never been made before. So it requires a certain kind of force and synergy in order for you to power through that. And, and comfortability is extremely essential. It's extremely important in order to do that. Yeah. When I was first trying to figure out what I was going to do with the space before I went out and got a broker, before I was touring like actual office spaces, I went and I toured like WeWorks to see if I could just rent a really small office in a WeWork for maybe $500, $900 a month. And I, I realized the moment that I walked in that that just isn't the energy that I want for people when they walk in to do something creative. Like I want people to come in and be vocal and excited. And I want that energy to be cultivated by them. But when you're in a WeWork space, the energy is already set you know, your question about how long from decision to actually applying or getting denied the loan, there was a lot that went into that. You know, a lot of going and touring different places, deciding that some things, some ideas I originally had weren't going to work and just like tweaking and working with it. And, and that is constant as a business owner, you're constantly pivoting and constantly tweaking things to make it what you want. And like, you might have an idea of what you want it to be and think that it's going to be perfect, but then you get in there and you realize, oh, those four hours are actually six hours. Yep. That's trial by trial by fire. Just figuring it out as you go. And that's why taking that first step is so important because again, you never know what you don't know until you know. You know, when I started my podcast in 2020, I was very scared. I had bought my equipment or my mom had gotten me the equipment for my podcast in 2019 And I held on to that equipment for a year before I started a podcast because I was so scared at what a big leap of faith it felt like I had to take on myself in order to do it. And you and I were working together at the time and I told you about what I wanted to do. And you ordered me a bunch of books. And one of them was Tools of Titans. Um, Is that Tim Ferriss? Ferriss, By by Tim Ferriss. And um, basically what the book is, is it's a bunch of the interviews that he's done with really successful entrepreneurs and just successful people about their stories, their greatest lessons, that kind of stuff, all in one book. It's a fat, fat book. That's a big boy. That was a Christmas gift that my brother got me. And one of those books that you just gift other people because of all the different, you know, nuggets of, of knowledge and wisdom. Yeah. So you ordered me that book as well as a few others. And you kind of broke it down for me and you were like, it is not about knowing everything right at the beginning. And it's not about taking a big leap of faith. It's about taking a lot of little steps and learning along the way. Yep. And that just made it so much more digestible when I was starting the podcast. And I took that and I 
implanted it into starting a business. And I don't think I ever would have started a business had I not done the podcast. Right. Because yeah. starting the business didn't feel as big a, as big and scary after I had already done something that felt big and scary, which is creating something that I didn't know how to do from the ground up. Right. It's a matter of taking that first step. And, and as you're taking those initial steps, it's really difficult not to look around and look at other people who are doing cool things and comparing your chapter seven to somebody else's chapter 40. And that was something that I struggled with. I mean, that's why this podcast even started in the first place. Something I struggled with so much at the beginning of my career because it was so rocky. And I was looking at my friends who had these corporate jobs that were just going swimmingly for them. Yep. And, and they're like, making a lot of money too. And they were making a lot of money. And the and the corporate structure just wasn't working for me. The businesses that I was working for, they just weren't, it wasn't clicking, you know, whether it was financially the business couldn't afford me or it was that I, you know, tried to take a job that didn't make any sense for me. And then I realized it fucking sucked and I just didn't want to do it anymore. You know, I, I just, there were a lot of big, you know, changes at the beginning of my career, lots of pivoting. So I learned that early on. I learned pivoting and I learned resilience early on because I had no choice. Mm. Mm. And I think those are two things that set me up for entrepreneurship. Yep. But to your point, it was a lot of looking at my friends and comparing myself and comparing yourself to where your friends are at is never going to put you in a good place because I, for the longest time, because I was doing that, told myself so many different narratives about myself that were not true. And when you are telling yourself a narrative about who you are, that narrative is going to be the way that you carry yourself. Yep. And that is going to be what you get back. Yep. And for a long time, that's, that's what I was doing. And the year following getting denied the loan was all about rewiring those narratives in my head and teaching myself all of these different lessons that, you know, I, I thought I knew what I knew and I didn't. Yep. Comparison is the thief of joy. So moving on to that year after you got rejected from the loan application, let's talk a little bit about what you decided. Okay. Why would I want you to cover why were you rejected by the loan or for the loan? And I want to, I want you to explain the emotions you went through for that. And I want you to talk about what your action plan was after that to then bring the loan to life. Getting denied the loan was really crushing because I had put so much into it. I had been working on it for months at that point, And I honestly had just stopped giving a shit about the work that I was actually doing that was paying the bills. I was doing some contracting work, social media work, and I just kind of let that fall to the wayside because it was no longer my priority. Your emotions were now tied in with this new project. Yeah, but I I let what was my lifeline at that time just fall to the wayside, which is not a smart thing to do for anyone who's getting started. No, but emotionally you you were so excited and enthusiastic about and I believed launching in it. a podcast studio and you believed in it that that passion kind of carried your attention away from the what was paying the bills. The reality is there are some real technicalities that come into getting a loan that I just kept looking past because I was like, this is a great idea, mm -hmm. but it has to be more than a great idea. It can't just be a great idea. Mm. You know, you have to have other things in order for a bank to trust you. 
I had to do a lot of self-reflection. I ended up leaving the contracting positions that I had. It was like right when I got denied the loan, all of the contracting jobs that I was working with, like they were questioning me and I was just in this really bad place. And I ended up just being like, okay, can't do those anymore. And I need to just reset. So that's what I did. I, I journaled a lot. I was working out a lot at the time. I think that that was kind of my, like how I stayed sane through it all was I still had focus on my health being the number one priority. And I, I ended up, like I said, leaving those contracting jobs and deciding I need to start proving to myself that all of these narratives that I've been telling myself just aren't true. So the narratives I was telling myself are, you're not good at making money. You're not a hard worker. You can't work for anybody else. You can't commit to anything. Like all of these just really negative things. And like the reality is, is that my confidence was very low when it came to professional things. Mm, that, that's extremely observant for you to notice these negative thought patterns. Because I think a lot of times we all go through our daily lives and have these negative thought patterns and, and things that we, the way that we speak to ourselves mentally is something that we, we can look past because it's invisible. Nobody else knows about it. And unless you journal or self-reflect, then you would never know about it either. It's just going on automatically in your brain. So for you to sit down and, and do these reflections and do a lot of personal reflection after this, what you can view to be a business failure. That's why they say, you know, in entrepreneurship, you're able to grow so much because yes, you're building a business, which is essentially a separate entity from you. It's still a part of you. And you having this failure, you're able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, what are my thought patterns? What's the plan of action I need to go need to go about moving forward so that I can bring this to life. And, and you identifying those things, I just got to give you major props because that's, that's a very difficult thing to do is look inward when you're hurting. Yeah. And you know, it's funny you say that it was like a, a career failure. I think I really struggled with that idea because it was just an idea at the time. It felt like I was make believe pretend for five months, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So it felt like I had no career. There was no failure for my career because my career just didn't exist in my <laughs> mind at that point. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it was really, it was challenging, but I think that self-reflection is important. Once I quit that job and I did the reflection, I realized that I needed to rewire my brain around those narratives. And the way that I did that was... I decided I'm going to go get my real estate license, mm. which was something that I had worked on when I first moved to Austin mm -hmm. and I was taking the courses online at the time and I was failing all the classes. So I'm just not a good learner online. Mm. Honestly, just, I'm not very good at being focused when I'm doing something online like that. It's not when for it's everybody. boring and it yeah. just, it's takes a lot of discipline and I just didn't have the discipline for it. So I have great parents. My parents agreed to help me go to an or an in-person real estate class or school here in Austin. And I started taking the real estate courses and I got a job working as a hostess at a local restaurant, Taverna. Right. Taverna. right. I, I was tackling those two things at the same time. And that was a place for me to show myself that I am a hard worker because working in the restaurant industry and the service industry is hard work. Mm -hmm. I was able to show myself that, but I was also able to show myself that that's not like, I have a lot of skills 
outside of that. Like when I was working at the restaurant, they were asking me to do stuff for them that was way out of my pay grade, like putting together like training manuals for Mm -hmm. their, their chefs, you know? So they were having me do a lot of things that were tapping into the skills that I had outside of that. And it just reminded me of my communication skills, you know? So it was really, it was great to have that. I was able to go there and be on when I was on and I was leaving there and going and taking my classes, my real estate courses. And I was doing great at my real estate courses. Every class I passed the first go around did great on the courses. Um, and then I ended up getting my real estate license that September. So this all happened between May and September that I was like making these changes. I think that I started taking real estate courses in August Mm -hmm. and I finished the real estate courses in September. So I only took a month to do real estate courses, but that summer was like a lot of me just figuring out what I needed to do to get myself to a healthy place, quitting the jobs that I had, starting the job at Taverna and just really starting from the bottom, like letting myself be on the ground, letting myself just hit what I thought was rock bottom because it gave me the opportunity to build my way back up. Mm. It's wild to hear you discuss these things about building yourself back up after being on rock bottom. But the two things that you talked about being your real estate classes and your job at Taverna at a restaurant, these are two from the outside looking in sound completely irrelevant to you launching a business, <laughs> I know. which is funny because wins are wins at the end of the day. And if you're trying to build yourself back up mentally and prove things to yourself, like your work ethic, your ability to be creative and things like that, that there are good attributes in the workplace. You chose the right things for you to get you back on your feet so that you could get back and motivated to work on your business again. The things that I could change are the things that are in my hands. And that's getting a job and going to it every day and proving to myself that I could do that. It's going and getting the real estate license. Like those are things that I can control, but whether a bank is going to give me money or not is not in my control. So I knew that I needed to start from the ground and just work on myself and work on what I know you know, they say that confidence comes from proving yourself, like keeping promises to yourself. And that's what I needed to do was I needed to keep those promises. So that's what I did. While I was doing that, I also had the lease that I was in um, here in Austin was coming up to an end. And I was living with my best friend, Emily at the time. And she was planning on moving back to New York when the lease was up. And I knew that my time was really running out. It was ticking. Time was ticking. And I was, I think, like $12,000 in credit card debt. And it was just a lot of things that I felt very buried from. I couldn't afford to get another apartment. Couldn't afford to live on my own. There were so many things going on. I I mean, I didn't really have much of a choice, but I think that I, I never had to have anybody tell me that this was the choice that needed to make or be made. I just made it. I was like, I'm moving home, um, which was very hard for us too. Yeah. It sucked. And, um, I think I had said it was going to, I'm going to go home for three months and I ended up being home for six months. So I moved home and I, I ended up getting a job in Washington, DC, working for a commercial real estate company that specializes in self-storage. So yeah, for six months last year, I was commuting from my parents' house in Stafford, Virginia to 
Washington, D.C. every day. I think that's when my like excitement for starting something myself really kicked back into gear. You move home, which for many people in your adult life, after, you know, going to college, living on your own for a number of years with your friends, losing that independence, that would be extremely discouraging for a lot of people. Yet you're saying that over that time that you were living at home and working a a corporate job, which in the past has been a struggle for you, somehow your encouragement was building back up. Can you explain how that's possible? The job that I had, my first project was my company needed a new website and my project was putting their website together. But more than that, it was telling their story. So I interviewed everyone who worked there. I interviewed the CEO. I interviewed his brother. I interviewed different bankers that he worked with when he was getting started. And my boss who owns the company, he got denied his loan seven times before he was able to start it. Seven times. And that was a huge wake up call to me that just because (laughs) you get told no doesn't mean it's a no forever. Yeah. You got rejected once. I got rejected once. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, if he could keep going back and finding the courage to like continue tweaking and working and like the banker now knows that this guy like has the grit Mm -hmm. because of that. And I think that that really inspired me to have that perseverance. So yeah, there were a lot of different things, of course, as it always is a perfect storm. But I think by December, I had paid off a good chunk of the debt that I was in. Why did I get denied the loan? And I didn't answer the question. The reason that I got denied the loan was because I was in debt. I was paying rent. I, it was like my student loan debt, my credit card debt, paying rent, my car, all of these different things. And the banks just couldn't give me money. Yeah, the banks were looking into you personally, your personal financial situation. Well, they were like, good. it's not good. And that just also adds to the sting of the rejection for your business loan. Yeah. So, but when I was living at home, a lot of that shifted. I was no longer paying rent. My student loans had been, you know, paid down to, I, I think at that point it was like $8,000 left. My car got paid off. My credit card debt was being paid off every month. And I knew that I was on the way to paying it completely off. So I think by December, I was like, wait a minute, I could maybe try for this again. So I remember being at work one day and walking out into the hallway and giving my lender a call. And I'm like, hey, I want to try again. What does the process look like? Can we get this started? And they were just really excited to have someone who didn't give up. And like, honestly, truly, I wouldn't have got, obviously, if I didn't do it again, I wouldn't have gotten the loan. But I mean, because I went to the same lender, they saw that perseverance and they never see that. Most people who get denied just don't ever go back. So you had the full-time job. Over a span of six months, you moved home. We were doing a long distance relationship, which was sacrifice for both of us. You had the call, you called your your lender and said, hey, I'm still, I'm back on my feet. I have this full-time income. I've got the W-2 here for you. What are the next steps? And how did that, the rest of that process go? They gave me a business advisor that I worked with who was someone who 
had previously owned a recording studio in Austin mm. for like 15 years or something. For music. For music. And I, I think it was actually a record label for music, not a recording studio. You know, yeah. it all goes hand in hand. Potato. And he helped me rework the proposal. And specifically, he helped me use language that the underwriters would understand because underwriters are going to, they don't understand the creative industry. I mean, when I say that this business was a very big risk for the lenders, they don't see a lot of creative businesses like this. So like majority of the loans that they're giving out are to like restaurants and nail salons and like businesses that are, we know well-established well established. Business, business models are as obvious as can be. We, they've existed forever, barber shops, grocery stores, things of that nature. Yeah. He helped me kind of use language that the underwriters could understand. They put me on a software that had like specific questions for the business proposal and also helped me put together like the numbers. And I had to put together a use of funds list, which was okay, you've been approved for X amount of money or I would be approved for X amount of money. I think I was originally going for a $50,000 small business loan and I ended up qualifying for $35,000. And um, I had to put 3% owner's injection into the company. So 3% into the company of my own money. And I either needed to prove that I had done that already or I had to have that cash on hand ready to put into my business account once it was open. So I had to put together like line items of everything that I was going to buy for this space, like what I need for it. The loan was only allowed to pay for six months rent. So I had to keep that in mind. And I had to show literally where every single penny is going. So it was $35,000 they were giving me. I was putting in 3000 myself. So I needed to prove $38,000 was going to this, 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 and this. And I, that's why I need 30, the full $35,000. And also they need to know that they're not underfunding you. Right. And this, doing this exercise, when you, again, haven't opened your doors yet, haven't found an office space, space yet, how are you supposed to explain where every single cent went? So I'm sure that that was a very, very, you know, challenging exercise to go through. I had to have a note, basically not like the full lease, but I had to have a note from a office space that was within the price range that I said that I was going to be spending on it and prove that there is a space that at that price that I could sign on the day that I got, yeah. <laughs> the day that I got the loan. It was the craziest game of chicken or the egg. You're telling these, you know, these landlords, Hey, I want to rent your space. And I have the money to be able to fund it. Meanwhile, you've got the loaners who have not given you the money yet, but they need a note from the landlord saying, uh, this is how much it's going to cost. And I can tell that you have intention. This, this is our intention to sign you on. So it's like proving to either side that you have the money and the intention to sign on the space without having the money at all. Yes. So it's a really strange chicken or the egg type of situation with the way that the process works. A lot works. of trickery. A lot. It, well, I don't want to call it trickery because you did have the, the spaces that you toured and you would speak to, you did have true intentions to sign. But then it's by the time the I money. would get the money, it was already gone every yeah. single time. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot. And something else that I didn't mention earlier is part of the reason I didn't get the loan in the first place is because I didn't have a W2. 
I was working on a 1099 at the time. And when you're going for a loan, whether it's a small business loan or a personal loan or a car loan or a home loan, like all of them, it's much easier to get a loan if you are on a W-2. If you're on a 1099, you need to have like been on that 1099 for two years to show the stability of it. So just something to keep in mind if you're looking to get a a business loan. The W-2 is very helpful. And I had the W-2 when I applied for the small business loan the second time around. That was another thing that was like very challenging because when I was coming back to Austin, my company said, we can't keep you on as a full-time employee. We're moving you on as a contractor. So I went from OW2 to a 1099 the day before I signed the loan. So I was able to show that I still had that 1099 paycheck, like, cause I got paid like the day before. So I was able to show that I had that the day that I went in to sign. Mm -hmm. But when I moved back here, I mean, I still was working and getting paid like the same amount that I was when I was working as an employee. But I I think it was like really an optics thing that they didn't, they didn't want it. They were trying to move away from remote work. So they were like, our loop around is keeping you on as a contractor. So it was a lot of these, like, I mean, I was walking a very fine line and things had to match up exactly the way they did. And if they didn't, it was like a few days difference and like things wouldn't have worked out. I think that I got approved for the loan a week before I moved back to Austin. Mm -hmm. And I was like sitting on pins and needles because I had already had the conversation with the company that I was working for like a month before I had already put everything in to apply for the loan, waiting to get approved. And, um, I knew that if I didn't get approved, then I wouldn't have gotten it. Or if they called me and said I was approved and it was like three weeks after I moved back to Austin, I wouldn't have been able to get it because at that point I would have been on it to 99. So you secured the loan. Yeah, I secured the loan. I moved back on a Thursday and Friday morning we woke up and we went to the lender and we signed on the loan. Yeah, it was... um, really surreal. And I don't think that it felt real until the first time I was in the studio recording, which was (laughs) like three or four months later because it took so long to get into the studio. Yeah. I lived with you for the first few months that I was here, saved up some more money. Yeah. Then I launched in August. I had my first clients in two days later. So I got, I got my keys on a Wednesday and those two days looked like a chicken running around with its head cut off. Oh my gosh getting all the furniture and borrowing friends' trucks so that I could fit the furniture somewhere and having you put up the curtains and trying to make the set of the studio look as professional as possible. In as short of a period of time as possible. The rest of the space was just completely empty. I mean, when they came in to record that first time, they had their wives with them, their kids with them, an assistant, like, And we were all just sitting on the ground watching them record because it was such a quick turnaround. There was no way that I could have everything done that quickly. No. So you threw it all together very fast. Crazy how quickly it's kind of taken off. I've, I have two podcasts that I'm producing that I'm really excited about. Mm -hmm. Vastly different podcasts. Mm -hmm. And I have several monthly members. I have had a handful of hourly rentals. And I've done no marketing yet. No marketing. It's all been word of mouth. I finally finished the desktop version of the website like two weeks ago. I still need to do the cell phone 
view, the cell phone view looks like shit. Don't look at it. <laughs> and I have listed this space on Pure Space, yep. which is essentially Airbnb for studio spaces. And I've gotten a handful of hourly rentals through there. Some great ones too. Some great ones. And then I, I had the launch party in October. Oh, what a fun party. And the launch party was so fun. We did a 1989 Taylor's version theme launch mm-hmm. album release party. It was Taylor Swift was playing all night. If you know me, you know I'm a diehard Swifty. Big time. I had a co-host, an amazing co-host, my friend Jade, who has her own podcast called Your Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. And um, she is very well connected to a lot of creators in Austin. And she was she came in and saw the space and she was like, you have to get all the creators <laughs> in Austin here. And she's so great. She like is like, you can do it. Like, And, and she was so on board to help me put together this launch party and get everyone she knows in the door and get all of my friends in the door and we mm-hmm. reach out to some other people that we don't even know. And it was great. It was get so much sponsors. fun. We, had, we got a sponsor, Zate, which is a new dating app that is, I believe, launching originally in Austin, but it's a really unique, cool concept. It's kind of like a dating app mixed with almost like Yelp. It's the dating app where plans are made. So you, they're like linking up with like Ticketmaster and open table, like all of these different cool apps that you can just make the plans there on the app. So it's right. really it's like cool location concept. based, right? So you, you decide that you want to go down the street to like rustic tap yeah. and like, it's a bunch of people have expressed interest in going to rustic tap. So you're able to find someone that wants to go to rustic tap with you. Yeah. So it's a really cool app and it's both relationship dating, but it's also friendship. So we were able to tie that into the event that we were having, getting a bunch of girls who are in Austin to come and see the space, but also have them hear about a really cool app that's coming very soon. And we were able to get a lot of things just donated. So we had swag bags that we gave out to people that had, you know, free facials, hydrofacials at Austin Plastic Surgeon. And we had a really cool blue sweater that matched the theme of 1989 from Chickadee donated. My friend just created a hat line called Energy and she donated hats for everyone. So it was just Popeye's chicken sandwiches. Really cool. Popeye's. Yeah. Popeye's donated some chicken sandwiches us for us, like 30 chicken sandwiches or something yep. like that for us with their sponsor or their partnership with Truff, which was awesome. Yep. And it was just a great time, but that was also, I mean, I say I haven't done marketing, but that was definitely marketing. Definitely a version of marketing that yep. lunch party was getting people in the door, having them see the space. It was fun being able to celebrate, you know, the beginning of this and, uh, you know, the, the official, your doors are open and being able to utilize the space in creative ways. Cause obviously you have this internal space that we're sitting in right now where people record, um, their podcasts and it's, it's so beautiful for people to be able to walk in. And even that week you were painting the wall. So again, it's, you know, it, it's, it's constant tr- trial by fire, constant, like, you know, hustle, 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 get it all done. The wall looks beautiful. It says YA studio on it. So people were able to come in and experience that, but also 
as a part of your lease, you have access to the terrace upstairs, the balcony. So it was kind of like a two piece part of the party that was really cool that we were able to have people in the space itself that, that where all the magic happens and they can kind of envision themselves here, but also going upstairs and being able to have the open air environment with the string lights and the music blasting. And, and, you know, it was a Thursday night and it was a beautiful evening. Yeah, and It was like a rooftop vibe. It was really cool. It was so fun. We had, um, permanent bracelets being done. Some, uh, the permanent bracelet company came in and did those for free for us. If we posted about it, we had a tarot card reader, we had just like really cool activations and it was really cool to kind of step into that partnership side of things. Cause that's obviously a big part of podcasting is having sponsorships and being able to kind of get my feet wet with that is great because now I can help my clients secure sponsorships because I now understand what the language like that looks like for that. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of trial and error. It's been a lot of just learning on the go and throwing things together really quickly. Oh, my client wants another chair for four people to be in the podcast. Great. I'm going to go buy a couch. Yep. You know, it's been a lot of just kind of working with what people are looking for. I keep joking that I thought that I was opening a podcast studio. And now all of a sudden I'm a producer, I'm a set designer. I'm a, I'm all of these different things, but it's been so fun. I couldn't be more proud of what it is. And, but I feel very thankful that things worked in the timeline that it was supposed to. I think it's very challenging when you're going through the moment and you're getting told no, and you feel like you've failed, but things wouldn't have worked out as well as they have so quickly if I had gotten the loan when I originally wanted it when you're going through these challenging times, you're going through times of adversity, you have to remember that the adversity that you're going through is just pushing you to be where you're supposed to be. You know, I truly believe that the universe is working with you to create what you're supposed to have. And if you take those times of adversity as an opportunity to learn and to grow and you take the time to reflect and figure out what you need to do next, I promise you things are going to work out exactly the way that they're supposed to and better than you could ever expect them. Yeah. And I think that another, you know, one of my takeaways from what you're saying and, and your story and First of all, I'm just like, you know, so proud of everything you've been through and what you've been able to achieve being here, sitting in this studio is just the studio itself. It's turned out beautiful. Thanks, babe. So to be in here and to have been through this process and been through some heartaches with you and, and all the heartaches really, and, and and (laughs) crying because I'm leaving and, 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 you know, going, you know, struggling in your, in your nine to five job, that's not a fit for you, but something that, you know, is necessary to ultimately get where you want to go. It's to go through all of this, the maturity you've, you've, you've gained from it, the, the poise and the elegance with which you carry yourself throughout this entire process has just been so inspiring for me. And, you know, as, as your, as your partner, as, a fellow business owner and entrepreneur, seeing your path to get to this point has been nothing short of astounding and inspiring. So that party that you had was able, was, was really an opportunity for me to stand in here and kind of, you know, for all of us, I think, to um, appreciate the path that you've had to take to get here. And, you know, I love the fact that this podcast that you have now has a new life because of all the steps that you've taken to give it legs having a podcast studio obviously gives you 24 seven access, you know, besides when there are clients in here for you to record. So 
that's really in anybody's life. What you hope to be able to do is live a life full of passion and excitement. And you've created a life for yourself where you're able to take your passion and you're able to give other people legs for their podcast and you're able to take your passion and, and practice it as often as you please. You know, and it's so cool too, because I originally started the podcast because I wanted to show people that if they want to go out and do something, create their own path, you can do that. You wanted to tell people. Yeah. I wanted to show people through other people's stories that they could do it. But I've now created a business that gives people a space to come in and do that creation and create what they want. And it's really cool when I am producing these podcasts and I'm working with people who they don't know what it looks like to start a podcast. And honestly, majority of the people who I'm working with, they don't have the time to do it all themselves, but they want to, you know, they want to have some, they want to start the podcast. They have something that they want to say and valuable things that they want to say. So it's really cool to now not only just be having these conversations to show people that they can do it, but to also be able to help people do it. But also for you to have walked in these shoes and for the self-discovery, you had no idea that when you launched your podcast that you would go down this path. And again, it's young adult path to progress. It's you figure, It's you telling these stories and sharing stories of other young adults who who have ended up somewhere they didn't expect to be, but they're happy and grateful that they've ended up here and sharing their stories to say, hey, there's more than one way you can skin a cat. You can end up in a certain place that you never expected to go, but maybe that's where you were supposed to go. And when you started this podcast, you know, you want to tell these stories, but you're living it and you've been through this. And one of the more difficult journeys that one can take, and you've ended up better on the other side. And now you can show people and share that. And you've been a along this journey and been able to share that those lessons you've learned from it. You know, you launched this podcast and like all the magic that's come from it, taking that first step of launching your podcast to ending up here. You never knew you'd end up here, but this is, <laughs> this is the coolest place you could have ended, possibly ended up. Yeah. It really is everything that I wanted to do. And I didn't even know that this would be like, I didn't know there was a way to create it yourself. And I think that I really encourage people to trust that they can figure it out and do something on their own. And like, if you have a dream, you can make it yourself. I think that I, um, you know, wanted to go into broadcasting and do entertainment. And that's why I studied broadcasting at Elon. And I realized when I was in LA that I liked the deeper conversations more than I liked those quick, who are you wearing on the red carpet? It's just crazy. The journey that I've been on and it is really cool when your career path has been so rocky, it feels. But to get to the other side, as you said, I have. And to be in a space where I'm producing these podcasts and putting together this studio, I'm doing stuff that I love every single day. And I'm like, this is exactly where I was meant to be the whole time. But I had to go through all of that in order to be fit for a position like this. You know, I've, I've learned all of these lessons along the way that make me the perfect person to do this. If it had gone exactly the way you planned it and hoped for it to go as efficiently as you possibly could have imagined, you wouldn't have learned those lessons. Yeah. So like, because things didn't go the way that you hoped that they would, you ended up in a better place. And also my dream wouldn't have given me the life that I wanted, you know, like I, my dream of working for E! News wouldn't have given me the life of of having the freedom of time, nope. of 
you know, making my own hours and I would have still been working for someone else. So I think just being open to the fact that your dreams are allowed to pivot, you know, you're allowed to grow and your dreams are allowed to grow with you. And there's always going to be like, I, I think a pillar within your dream that sticks but that dream is allowed to expand into something different, entirely different of what than what you expected it to be when you first had that idea when you were in middle school, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's been it's been really cool. Yeah. And I'm I again I cannot emphasize enough how proud I am of you to to see you grow through this process and just how beautiful of a person you are, but also how strong of a person that you are and have proven yourself to be. It's been amazing. All right, so let's open it up to uh, some questions you got on your Instagram story when you posted on at Young Adult Podcast from some people who wanted to have some you know business-related questions. So first thing, how long will it take to pay back the small business loan? Do they have high interest rates? I think I already answered how long it'll take. I think it's going to be around, I can't remember exactly how many years. If I paid just the like base of six ninety five or whatever it is every month, then I think it'll be paid off in somewhere between like five years to seven years. Okay. I I think that I I think it might be five years it'll be to pay it off, and then the seven is coming in because I got it at a seven percent interest rate, mm -hmm. which people low. think is really high, but honestly that's really low considering where the market is at right now. It's pretty actually unheard of to get anything around seven percent for a business loan right now. Um, I actually had my lender come into the studio the other day and she was saying that the loans now are at like 11%. Wow. So the interest rates, I actually got the loan the week that they were changing the interest rate and jumping it up to that like 11%. But because I had already been working with them for so long, they kept it at that 7% for me. Yeah. They honored it, man. Again, like another example of you kind of jumping over that bridge, like Getting the timing the couldn't have been perfect time. time. Yeah. Yeah. Second question. Did you allot some of your loan to marketing to get renters in the studio? We kind of covered this. I did originally, yeah. um, but I haven't put in any, anything into ad spend. Um, with that being said, you spend a lot more money when you are starting a business than what you expect you're going to spend. Yeah. Hidden costs. As you were saying earlier too, there's a lot of different things that you learn through trial by fire. Like, you know, the very first time you had people in in here, clients in here to record, you know, we were sitting on a concrete floor watching them record. So obviously we were like, you, you thought in your head, okay, let's get a, a high countertop table island type of thing where you have four chairs around. So if people are clicking away on their laptops or working that are in support of the podcast, they can do it over there at those tables. Yeah, we need a place for the assistant to sit. We need a place for, you know, family to sit if they come in and record. I needed a like corner for my my, um, desk and my computer set up and yeah, you just, you don't realize what you need until you, you need it. Right. And I, I think that's just, you know, so perfect given the whole process was, you know, figure it out as we go. Yeah. You had your entire plan in the loan of every cent that you're going to spend of the, of the loan. And then you're like, oh, well, I actually need chairs for people to sit in and I want to have a nice credenza here. Um, <laughs> so that, you know, you can keep Our all the cops and yeah, credenza is a great word. You can have all your cups and all your, you know, coffee and things to, you know, hospitality related things in your credenza and it looks sturdy and it looks, you know, aesthetically appealing. So all these different hidden costs you don't expect kind of come into play as well. Okay. So essentially the question is, how did you file as an LLC and how does that work 
after you get approved? So filing for an LLC actually comes before you file for a small business loan. You're going to need a tax ID number when you're filing for the loan because the loan is under the business entity instead of you. So the business is reliable for it. You are not. It's not a personal loan. Um, I applied for the LLC on LegalZoom, which is a website online. They kind of take care of everything for you. They send it to the secretary of state. They get you your business ID, um, tax ID number, all of that. Very, very simple. I think you just pay a couple hundred dollars and they take care of the rest for you. Final question. And we kind of covered a little bit already. What was the biggest thing this process has taught you about yourself? Yeah, it's a, it's a hard question because there was so much that I have learned through it all. I think that the biggest thing though, is that like those narratives that I was telling myself before, those, that negative self-talk, I haven't had that in over a year mm. because the moment that I started taking steps towards keeping promises to myself, they just went away. Hmm. And for, for I, from what I've found from ideas that you're enthusiastic and love and passionate about that you don't take action on, they don't go away. So the ones that you're able to take action on, like the fact you were able to knock out to do's for this slowly, but surely they, they didn't sit there and fester and make you less confident. Yeah. You were able to use that as fuel and it made you more confident. Thank you for doing this for me. Please. It was my honor to be here on this new step and leg of your journey. I know. I'm excited. I think that it's going to be a lot of fun and I hope to be as consistent with it as all of my other clients are. So if you're listening and there's anything that you want to hear from the podcast, please let me know. If you have any other questions about my journey, I mean, I, there's a million different things that I could talk about and dive deeper into. This is just like the overview of the landscape of it all. And this is this this episode is from the outside perspective, looks like this is the beginning. But now, as you know, there's been a lot of work before this to get to where we are now. Yeah, I think that that's something too. If you're like getting started and you're on a journey, it's going to feel like it's taking forever. And then all of a sudden it's going to be a storm all at once. Yeah. Like I can't tell you how many times I'm like, I can't believe how quickly this business is taking off. And it's like, oh shit, I put like, two years of work into it before Quiet I work. even opened it. Yep. So just be patient and trust that if you feel like something's right for you, you're on the right path and don't take no for an answer if you really truly believe in it. So yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget if you like this episode to subscribe or follow on Spotify, Apple podcasts, leave a review reach out to me, let me know what you want to hear on the podcast. And if you are ever in Austin and you want to come in and see the space, I love showing people the space. So mm. come in and get a tour. We're back, baby. 